Welcome, Foul Tarnished. You are listening to Elden Kings, an Elden Ring discussion. This is Gideon the Half-Knowing, and today's topic is lesser-known details in the Soulsborne series. There's a lot of uh, minute details out there that people miss very easily, so we want to get into that today, as well as just general weapons, spells, armor, talismans, all of the good stuff that goes into a good build. And joining us today is someone that has quite a bit of experience talking about both, and is taking time out of his busy subathon to join us at the Roundtable Hold, is uh, Dom's Roundtable. Uh, welcome to the Thanks. podcast. Hello, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, the pleasure is all mine. I'm glad you took the time to join us today. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. It's uh, it's finally warmed up in the States, so I can go outside and like walk my cats and just like relax in the sun. It's nice. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm really sorry to immediately go off topic, but you walk your cats. <laughs> I do, I do. I, uh, I've got these harnesses that we can put on them, and um, me and my girlfriend, we even have a stroller that we put them in sometimes. So That is adorable, I'm not going to lie. I love that. <laughs> Yes, they're quite cute. We've uh, <laughs> we've trained our calico to, um, or not calico, but tortoise shell. I guess tortoise shells are calicos. But we've um, we've trained her to go by the door and wait there, staring at us very mournfully until we let her out with us. <laughs> oh, that is so cute. Yes. Do you own any cats of your own? No, I have a dog. Oh, okay. Um, but I love both. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, dogs are great too, honestly. They are very good companions. Yeah, for sure. All right, so back on topic. I, um, I've um, i seen some of your Things you, mi- you Missed videos, especially about Elden Ring, and I definitely like how you cover, like, you know, just like, obviously you cover the things that people missed. Would you like to yeah. uh, get into your mindset with making those at all? Oh, I would love to. Um, apologies if I go off on a bit of a rant, but... um. I, I love talking about it, so thank you for asking. Um, there is um, there is a darker part to this story as well that I will come into later on the podcast if we uh, if we want to. I don't want to immediately make this. Uh, I want to keep it lighthearted and fun because because um, I just do. <laughs> um, but yeah, so basically, um, with that aside, my main thought was I love I love the Souls franchise. I absolutely adore Dark Souls. Elden Ring being my personal favorite of the lot. Um, But the fact of the matter is, it is an enormous game. It's such a huge game. Um, And I wanted to be able to make that accessible for people who don't have as much time on their hands. Um, I I had a huge, huge amount of time on my hands when Elden Ring first came out. And that's when when I get into the the reason why. The reason behind that is is quite dark, so I'll leave that for now. but um, because of that, I just dove headfirst into Elden Ring. And I was like, I am just going to play this game to death, take my mind off everything else that's going on. Um, and I truly did just comb through every single area in the game so that it was all I was thinking about. And after my first week of playtime, I had already finished the game. And I thought, wow, I probably know this more than most people in the world right now, purely because I've just played it so much. So let's revisit the first area again. Let's thoroughly comb it and let's start bringing all this information to everyone that may not have the time to do so to make it more accessible for the casual gamer. And then the the Things You Missed series was born. 
that's a good story for it. And like, I like that you had such a good game to take your mind off of things in the moment to like to really dive into and let like all of like the worries of the world dissolve into learning. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, um, definitely. But like you said, we can get into that more a little bit later because like it really is incredible to talk about how well Elden Ring just sort of like. It hides so many small details in such a big game that you're sort of constantly astounded by the level of detail and just like very minute little places. And I'm glad that you had such a drive to share that with people. Like I finished the game in a week and I did not go and make videos about it like you did. I just sort of like <laughs> ranted on Discord to my friends about the lore. But like, um, I really like that you uh, you went out there and like you tried to share that with people. Thank you, thank you. I mean, yeah, like you say, it is that to this day, as you mentioned right at the start, doing a subathon at the moment on Twitch to celebrate my uh, my first year full time content creating, and I even now during my most recent playthrough i'm currently doing um what is currently referred to as the pokemon trainer run i am only allowed to deal damage with my summons it's a challenge run um and even now i'm still finding new things about the game i literally found a new stone sword key in castle morn downing the weeping peninsula last night and i was like where has this been my whole in all my other 25 playthroughs <laughs> that's so cool it's just like there's always more that the game has to offer and i love that always. you like because like the stone sword keys are always in low supply early on yeah, yeah it's crazy uh but yeah so i um yeah i created the first couple of first couple of videos of the things you missed series i thought ah, pop, pop it out there for for the people that care i really wasn't expecting it to take off i was still a relatively small youtube channel at the time um people loved it it absolutely blew up so i thought right okay I now need to do this for the whole entire game. Um, and of course, I'll be uh, continuing it when the DLC comes out as well. Hell yeah. I, uh, I wonder how many areas we're going to get that you'll be able to get it, like, do it in, you know? Like... Oh, I, I hope so many. It's purely speculation, of course, but I have heard that um, the DLC is estimated to be half the main game. So we're getting like a whole nother... 50% of the game. I don't know how true this is, but the sources that have been leaking this information have been known to be very uh, accurate in the past. So I hope so. That would be amazing. You see, this is one of the reasons I love having a podcast, because I had no idea that was going on, but I feel like right. I get to be one of the first few people to hear about that. <laughs> 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 That is fantastic. I had Zero yeah, Storm on at some point, and he, he leaked the Armored Core 6 announcement to me, which was yeah, fantastic yeah. to learn. And I mean, I I would love a DLC of that magnitude. And I feel like they sort of, like, I mean, if you look at Witcher with the what Blood and Wine DLC, I think it's called, that is you, huge. You have just, I, you have just accidentally identified my favorite DLC of any video game ever. Blood and Wine was gorgeous. The whole French Knights, Tucson, that whole area was so stunning. I love that DLC so much. I watched my brother play a bit of it, and I just, it, like you say, it's really just a stunning location in an already yeah. beautiful game. I guess I bring it up, um, you know, like, I feel like, obviously, The Witcher is such a like important open-world game in the modern gaming sphere. I feel like 
Elden Ring probably took some amount of inspiration from that. So maybe within the DLC aspect, they definitely want might want to deliver on the whole new spin on like the experience idea. Yeah, yeah, oh, I love that. I love that idea. So, um, what were some of your favorite videos to make for the Things You Missed series? Oh, good question. Um, it's a, it might be a bit of a boring answer, but the, the, the early ones. But purely because I'm sure we will all feel this, no matter how good you get at the game, and no matter how much you learn the game, the further along you get, the harder it's going to be. And you would not believe the amount of times they had to re-record, like, like a cave in the consecrated snowfields because i'd get halfway through and then i'd die <laughs> it's it's a tough game at the end of the day yeah it really is you know like some of those enemies will two or three or four shot you and they've got some pretty mean combos to do yeah for sure for sure so um i mean my absolute favorite area um is gotta be Lanedell royal capital um, but that wasn't necessarily my favorite video to record because there is so much stuff um, all built up into such a small space, like all these winding streets and varying different levels and then the sewers as well. So as much as I think that area is gorgeous, oh, that was a pain to record. And I'm pretty sure even I missed at least a few things in that one. Yeah, it's a massive level with just like numerous pathways that you're sort of meant to take one of and not backtrack through because if you do try to backtrack it is a lot of enemies to fight like it's a it's a fun and beautiful and very intense level if you try to clear do a full clear especially if you're trying to find all of the secrets there yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. so you said that landel was your favorite uh like level to like level to make a video on is that your favorite level in general for the game or do you have uh, some other opinions when it comes to like you know playing through the levels at a casual standpoint um yeah so <clears throat> i mean to an extent it kind of depends what mood i'm in um but it's it's a question i've been asked on stream a few times like what's your favorite area what's your favorite enemy what's your most hated enemy and my answers always surprise people i think maybe i'm a bit of a masochist like i do love the really difficult games and to that end my favorite area is actually caled most people are disgusted at me when i say that how dare you that's filthy but i i, I love it i just think it's um I don't know, I think because you can visit such a late game area so early on in the game, and because it's got such a contrast to Limgrave, there's these beautiful green fields and the sun's shining and menacingly looming in the distance is this purely red landscape with loads of intimidating enemies. And I don't know, I, I love the vibe. I love the atmosphere. I like the way you describe it. It's very poetic. Yeah, yeah. I, I may, well, maybe that was intentional. I think... As I was as I was answering that question and and describing that to you, then it's the first time I've ever actually described it like that. And as I was saying it, I thought this is this is like you say, it's poetic. So maybe that was very intentional on FromSoft's part. I think that there's definitely an intended sort of disparity to be seen between the sort of beautiful rolling hills of Limgrave, which has been more or less preserved since the shattering, and the like this moment where you're approaching the smoldering wall and you see this burnt out church and the, the grass becomes sparser and you see this red sky ahead. 
and once you pass it, you see like this distinct change in the like the ground itself, where it starts to decay and rot, as if the smoldering wall is holding back, like you know, a tide of sickness, and you just have to like. It's just, it, it, I think it's a very meaningful transition. So I think you're definitely onto something with thinking that it's intended. Definitely. I love the way you just described it as well. That's uh, even more thought than I've given it. And I absolutely love that. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing that insight because that's so cool. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I really, really hope um, this is, this is uh, purely a fantasy for me because there's many ways they could take the lands between with the expansion. But I really hope, because uh, if FromSoft's other expansions are anything to go by, they always go back to in the past. They always go always go back in the past. So I'd love to be able to revisit Kaled, like in its glory days before this happened, and see how it looks. Oh my goodness. I have given that sort of an astounding amount of thought. Like, I guess, yeah. so I will share with you, it's a little bit like, you know, nerdy, uh, but I do indulge myself in writing fan fiction occasionally. And I quite like Souls because it sort of evokes a very like strong and like, po uh, you know, poetic sort of sense of writing. And I actually did write, I like, it's a work in progress, half of it's written, but I have this a uh, story written about Godfrey conquering Kaled, where like Kaled was once this the Kaled Wild of the Beastmen and of Eo Kaled, which was like this noble sort of sort of like Scot Scottish inspired uh, concept where it's like, you know, Godfrey is Rome coming to sort of, you know, conquer the free peoples and I don't know. I, I really agree with you that the Kaled Wild probably was once this really beautiful and noble place and land before it was sort of unfortunately destroyed. And there's like a tragedy there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's awesome as well. I, I love the um, your fanfics. That sounds amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm really happy for you that you do that. It's definitely great to have an artistic outlet like that. That sounds so cool. Oh, thank you. Uh... I try, <laughs> you know, I've I've always been keen on like writing and stuff. It's what draws me to the Souls games personally, you know, hence the name Gideon Half-Knowing, you know, it's the lore and the narrative that I really uh, get into. Of course, I like the gameplay too. I'm a fan of action games in general, but you know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I must admit when it comes to the lore, before I started doing this, um, well, as my career effectively, um, it isn't it isn't the lore that initially drew, uh, drew me to these games. But the more I'm getting into it and the more people in the community I'm speaking to, I am starting to become just as interested and just as invested in the lore um, as as the likes of of Smotown and Vartivija and uh, Zuli the Witch and everyone else, all the other great creators that, that do focus on the lore. So yeah, it's a big draw for me at this point as well, for sure. I feel like it's one of those things where you start to like learn some breadcrumbs and it just leads you down yes. this rabbit hole. <laughs> yes, definitely. Have you, uh, in your like things you missed videos, do you focus on lore aspects occasionally? Um, I apologize if that's an ignorant question when it comes to like viewing the videos themselves. No, no, themselves. It, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. It's fine. So um, I, I, I specifically strayed away from it um, at the start of the series for two main reasons. Uh, firstly, I ignorantly didn't think people would be interested um, because, I don't know, you kind of, without that outside as uh, aspect, 
you just assume like, okay, I like it for the gameplay, so that must be other people's main draw as well. I, I, I ignorantly didn't realize how invested in the lore people were. Um, but more importantly and primarily is because I did finish the game so quickly after release, I specifically wanted to stay away from anything that could be construed as a spoiler. And I thought talking about the lore would also start to um, start to then uh, move into spoiler territory. But as the series has progressed, it has started to become more fleshed out and more lore heavy as well towards the later episodes. That makes a lot of sense as like a progression, especially since things are so up in the air speculation wise in the early days of like the lore community. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one thing, a, a great conversation I was having with my Twitch chat yesterday, actually, was whether the um, Malaketh is the same as Garank, the beast cleric, um, clergyman, sorry, in Kaelid. Um, and there's so many great arguments for both sides, because um, one really key piece of information that people forget is the crumbling Faramazula is set in a different timeline to the rest of the lands between. So, so many people say to me, well, he can't be the same, because when you kill Malaketh, Garank is still there. And it's like, yeah, but it's a different timeline. So he could be the same person. Huh. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense as an argument in it. Are you mentioning how, like, if you kill Garank slash Malaketh at Faramazula, you are... Uh you're still able to meet him at the Beast Sanctum? Is that yes, ex exactly, exactly, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that discussion before, and I think that's a pretty nice way of explaining it within terms of, like, narrative timeline sense. Part of me is just wanting to explain it by, like, it's hard to design games and have him, like, die, because, like, it doesn't he only show up at the Beast Sanctum if you don't burn the Erda Tree? Or does he show up even when the Erda Tree is burning? I'm not, I can't remember fully. I, I'm not too, like, caught up on that aspect of the lore, to be honest. <laughs> gotcha. No, that's what, yeah, so I'm pretty sure he is there the whole entire time. Um, what You make a very valid point, though, about it could just be a gameplay decision. Um, like, like, they don't want to, um, you kill Malaketh, therefore he goes away. You're not allowed to use him anymore. Like, like they're just... They're just leaving him there to be nice to the player, so you you haven't accidentally locked yourself out of finishing his quest line and handing in the death route. But then another part of me thinks, no, FromSoft have got more confidence in their players than that. FromSoft don't hold your hand. They're like, if you mess up, this is your fault. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of instances where, like, a quest line can just, like, end. You know, like, yeah. I think famously Sigmire will just disappear from ds1 if you don't talk to him initially at the yes gate. like <laughs> at the gates yeah sense fortress yeah oh my god yeah which thankfully doesn't happen as much in elden ring you know you can miss a couple locations for an npc and still get along fine but like it is a good point because elden ring is a lot more i guess uh attentive with those minor details so if garank does appear like should we read into it as they just didn't want to remove him for the quest, they couldn't remove him because of, like, I guess, random things in the code, or is it that he is supposed to be there and it's supposed to imply he's different from the Garank we see in Theorem? But, like, to me, it doesn't make sense for him to not be Malekith. Like, it just looks like his cloak burns away and that there's armor yes. underneath, you know? Like, I don't think it has to be a complicated thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 of course, of course, uh... People, people definitely can and have read into these things too much 
on a very frequent basis. Um, and I, I, to be fair, sometimes it can get a bit heated, two different, vo- two different viewpoints. But I like to see the good in everyone. And I, I believe if two people are getting so heated about something, all that means is they are both insanely passionate about the topic they're talking about. I think the conversations wouldn't still be ongoing and, and people's passion wouldn't, wouldn't uh, be so, well, passionate if Elden Ring wasn't such an amazing game. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's like, I think part of it could be seen as like with the older games, I feel like there was in some ways it was easier to draw a singular conclusion or a singular conclusion with a couple of different endpoints that you could argue about, but like would still be off based off of the same thing. And then Elden Ring is just so broad that people can come from different directions with wholly different sets of evidence where it's like, it really does seem like a screaming match when they're just trying to lay it all out. And sometimes it yeah. can turn into that, too. I mean, like, you know, heat happens in every discussion, but, like, yeah. hopefully not all of them. No, and it's always coming from a place of love. We we wouldn't get so passionate about things we didn't care about. Exactly. Like, you can't go through all of that and learn about all of it without, like, being invested in what you're talking about, you know? It's... Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, it's really nice as well to hear that you are um, a, a huge fan of Dark Souls as well. Um, absolutely no shade whatsoever on people who have got into the franchise because of Elden Ring, because I know there's a lot of them, and that's amazing because it means we're growing. Join us, come enjoy Dark Souls with us. Um, but hopefully, it means that a load of the newcomers will now go and also revisit the Dark Souls games because every single one of them, in their own way, is beautiful. Yeah, 100%. Like, it's wonderful that Elden Ring has brought so many people into the series, you know, with like 20 million sales numbers. And now that we're yeah. like... Yeah. Uh, just one second. My birds woke up, so can oh, you bless. hear them? That's fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and now for a message from our sponsors. Hey! Hey, you! Whippy, whippy, wimpy! Are you too much of a milksop to work out? Well, my heart's big! It's got hot blood going through it fast! I like to eat! I like to have children! And you too could slay unworthy tarnished with our one-of-a-kind death root powder! It'll make you big! It'll make you strong! Don't worry about the side effects because I'll be too busy having sex! Bulk up with the vulgar militiamen outside of Beast Sectum today! by calling 1-800-GUREG to train with our master guru. He's huge, he's deadly, and he's manifested the power of death into a fucking sword like holy shit! What people might not realize yet is that it doesn't matter how long you live, it matters how you live, and you want to live with power! Brave the Kaelin Wild and visit Gurren at the Beast Sanctum to get death root powder! Side effects may include unusual changes in behavior, lethargy, complete divorce of cognition from physical sensation, and in some cases, death. I ran out of breath! <laughs> and now, back to the episode. So, during our, during our brief interval then, actually, you did mention about uh, night shift work, and there was something I wanted to add to that from my, from my side as well, because I completely agree. Like basically, um, because so much of my America, uh, of my Americans, of my audience are American, um, I also have basically started working night shifts accidentally. And you're so right; it, it can really work for you. Basically, my daytime now 
is my free time. So whilst everyone else is at work, I can go out and get all my stuff done. And it's like, it feels like having the world to yourself. Like if I need to go to the bank or go and do my shopping or whatever, everyone else is at work and it's so peaceful. And it, it really works for me uh, doing the, basically doing the night shift lifestyle. Yeah, like I'm in my experience, you know, during the weekdays, generally the only people, other people out are like families, like the parents of children that are like shepherding them and elderly people. And they are very yeah. unobtrusive and scattered. So it's just nice to be able to have the world to yourself, like you say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I also, I remember one of my favorite parts of the night shift was night driving. You know, I could go on my break and I could just like, drive around for 30 minutes on a completely empty strip of road and you know you had that sort of like almost movie feeling where you've got the the flashing lights going by and <laughs> <laughs> I, I i totally agree i used to do that all the time i love it i um yeah it's so zen it's so relaxing it's so peaceful comforting you can just go off in your own world for half an hour it's a very good way to unwind and de-stress yeah, 100%. I, uh, I couldn't agree more. So since you're, um, you've, you got your, so essentially, I assume that you went from the YouTube channel into getting a sort of career started with streaming, or was it vice versa? Well, like, how did that sort of proceed for you? Um, yeah, actually, it was a really good question. If you don't mind me just um, going off on a, on a little bit of a rant about it. Um, not a Please rant, do. but just uh, an extended uh yeah, cool. Thank you. So it was actually the other way around. Um, when I first got into wanting to do content creation, it was around COVID. Um, I found I didn't need to do the commutes into the office anymore. So because we were, I, I had an office-based job, a nine-to-five, um, and I was at home 24-7. So I now had like these three extra hours a day where I didn't have the drive. I didn't have the office politics. I could just do my work log off job done um so in the evenings i was like i have no purpose anymore i feel the first few months were great it was the summer i was out in the garden having some drinks after work just like taking the dog on extended walks and after a while i thought i feel so unfulfilled so i actually um i'm quite a horror fan in my spare time i love horror movies i love horror games so initially i started up a horror twitch channel um and it was at that point I realized exactly how niche the horror market is. And I got no exposure whatsoever. So I carried on doing Twitch a little bit on the side, um, just for me, when I had a spare evening. And I also booted up a YouTube channel um, in tandem. And on that channel, I started reviewing um, a, an open-world sandbox medieval strategy game called Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord. Um, that started taking off. That was actually doing quite well. So I then went, I revisited Twitch and I brought my new YouTube audience back over onto Twitch um, and I started playing Bannerlord on stream as well. Um, inevitably, eventually, I got really burnt out on that game. It, it wasn't ever my passion. It was just kind of what I was into at the time. Um, and I was like, damn it, now I feel like I'm pig I've pigeonholed myself. I'm, I'm forced into playing this game that I'm no longer enjoying forever and ever and ever um so i was like okay let's take a break um we're back into the office by this point this is this is kind of a two-year period of time i've just explained here so we're back into the office i'm i'm back into my nine to five job a bit more again uh office politics commutes all of that all of that crap 
<laughs> and um, uh, so I then took a break from both Twitch and YouTube and then rolls around Elden Ring. And this is where, if you don't mind, if I get into it, um, I'll talk about It's not too dark, don't worry. I will still keep it all safe for work, as lighthearted as I can. Uh, but if you don't mind me explaining the reason why I got into Elden Ring, then I can uh, round off the story there. Yeah, go ahead. It sounds like it was an emotional turning point for you. So, like, please go into it. Thank you. Yeah, so basically, yeah, got back into the office. Um, I have suffered with anxiety and depression for many, many years due to um, truly horrible things I won't go into from my childhood. And um, I've always lived with them. I've always just pushed them down, use use video games as a nice way to distract me from the, the realities of life. Um, and basically went back into the office, opened up, put, wore my heart on my sleeve. I was like, right, I'm ready to take control of my life. I'm ready to, to look after myself and and uh, like get the help I need, speak to a therapist, see if there's any medications I can take. And I, I thought my team were going to be fully supportive of this. When in reality, what happened is it went the complete other way. And everyone was like, oh, he suffers with mental health issues. That means he's probably not fit to work. And I was immediately treated very differently, um, which is a heartbreaking thing to learn. Um, but yeah, so basically I then I went and spoke to my doctor and he he was so sympathetic. He was absolutely amazing. Uh, signed me off for a few months. And this coincided with the release of Elden Ring. So as I say, I'd quit YouTube, I'd quit stream, I'd quit Twitch, I'd gone full, fully back into my career. Um, and then this all, this all blew up in my face. So I was like, okay, Elden Ring's just come off, just come out. I'm signed off for a few months while I, while I can tackle them, um, all of the stuff going on at work. So let's just dive into Elden Ring, make these videos and see what happens. And it just exploded. Oh. That's terrible that you suffered from the stigma against mental health. Like, the stigma itself can be so much more part of the duress that one goes through while suffering, the, like, anxiety that it just compounds. And I'm sorry that you had to deal with that. Thank you. Honestly, that means a lot. Thank you so much. Um, it's, um, I mean, clearly I'm, 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 I'm now able to do what I enjoy doing for a living, silver linings and all that. It's, um... It literally could not have gone better in my wildest dreams. Like, like this, this really, really upsetting, really painful situation ended up blossoming into one of the best things that has ever happened to me. And it all stemmed from me being willing to open up about it and go and seek some help. So if that knowledge helps even one other person, uh, that, that it just makes me so happy to be able to talk about my story now, hopefully help other people. Of course. I've dealt with, uh, you know, depression and anxiety issues all my life. So I've always, like, you know, if I were to have any sort of voice within content creation, I would want to define it with being sympathetic and empathetic towards people that are suffering. So I definitely, you know, I, I, my heart goes out to everyone who suffers from that kind of thing. And I'm glad that you were able to turn you know, your dark moment around and like grow out of it in such a way that, you know, you propelled yourself into a new type of career that is obviously something that you enjoy quite a bit and is something that you can be passionate about. And I'm glad that like, you know, we can talk about that as an example of hope to people that 
might also be suffering. So thank you for sharing your experience. Thank, thank you for allowing me to. Of course. You know, I've talked to other people that have gotten their start in um, Elden Ring, you know, off of the success of Elden Ring, there's 20 million people going to YouTube for content off of it. Like Square Table Gaming is a channel that I've had on where Zach and his sort of like family members were able to get together and make their own channel. And I've thought, even talked to like other people, like I mentioned uh, Quayleg while we were speaking about YouTube content creators, like off recording. And she like, you know, she was, she's been around since like early in the days of the Soulsborne series, but she really got like a boost in like what she was putting out by from Elden Ring. And I think she's making content with Vadi Vidya now, which is just like, it's nice to see that Elden Ring has pushed so much of the Souls community into the mainstream that we're seeing like an almost like renaissance of like content creation for it. You know, there's so many new voices in the community and yeah, it's nice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I hundred percent. I couldn't have put it better myself. I didn't know that about Quilag and Varty actually. That is amazing. Um, and it's it's I didn't realize you had square table gaming on either, actually. I only discovered them the other day, and another member of my community was like, You're the round table, they're the square table. You should get together, you should push your tables together and have one giant table. <laughs> you see i was making that joke with square table too because we call ourselves like the elden kings of the round table hold so there's all sorts of tables getting added to the community <laughs> we need to we need to hire out a massive hall and get all our tables together <laughs> the, the many tabled hold yeah <laughs> yes it'll be a uh, it'll be a crossover event they'll shake the world <laughs> I love it. I'm looking forward to it. Let's see if we can make it happen. I think something that I think is interesting about Elden Ring, and it's, I mean, if we want, like, to get into, like, the sort of narrative aspect of it, I guess, it's, it's just that Elden Ring in general, it's a story. It depicts this time of sort of, like, uncertainty and change. And um, if you look at, like, sort of, like, Japanese mythology or mysticism, um, there's this concept of like kegere, which is impurity, is what it translates to. And the idea of that is that uh, impurity is a distortion of the natural world. So like you have ke, which is like the natural existence. And then when that existence becomes distorted, it becomes kegere. And it must be restored with here. And it's not that this distortion is sinful, like it can be caused by humans, but I think it can be caused by natural events like birth or death. So it's more like, it's not even profane, it's more of a distortion. And it's used to describe, like, obviously periods of heavy uncertainty with a change in the social dynamic of a group or a person's mental balance can be put into question. And I mean, this is a long tangent, so I apologize, but I'm only bringing it up because I feel like uh, like if we look at the shattering as the ultimate breaking of K into Kegere, where order becomes distortion and everyone sort of goes mad with their own sort of ideas of what is right and what is not. This is sort of, I've talked about with this with like, you know, content creators on Discord, it's sort of an, a metaphor for 
times of change within one's own life, where things are left up to uncertainty, and you can repair your sense of mind with any sort of new mending aspect. Like, you know, obviously the Elden Ring can be repaired, but in multiple ways. And I don't know, I just, like, whenever I talk to people about mental health, I feel like Elden Ring especially can be seen as, I feel like it's one of you know, like, it's a struggle to achieve reachieving cohesion within the self and the world, which I feel like is sort of an analog for that. I, I forget, forgive me if I'm rambling and this is all a bit, like, hooky, you know? <laughs> no, 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 honestly. I mean, I would be lying if I said I have fully absorbed every single thing you've said, but it's incredibly fascinating. Thank you for sharing. I've been Googling a couple of the words to keep up as you've been going along. And that's super interesting. Thank you. That's, that's awesome. Oh, of course. What an yeah. analogy. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to like bring, you know, Japanese mysticism. I'm sure, you know, not everyone can be familiar <laughs> nice. with those terms. <laughs> it's super interesting. Thank you. Of course. So, um, what other uh, content, you know, I think you make, you, you said that you stream, so what kind of, uh, what, kind, what are you streaming currently? Would you like to talk about that? Some of your, uh, like, I guess, like, what you stream, what you like to stream, how that, you know, relates to what you like to play video game-wise in general? Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, ev everything. It's all, it's all Elden Ring. It's the, the short answer is Elden Ring. I just, I just love Elden Ring. Um, because obviously we've got we've got the things you missed series and and as I say that one of the main driving factors for making that was making the game accessible. I was like, hey, look, I'm a guy who has somehow managed to do this as a job, so I've got more time to be able to waste on this game than than the average nine to five worker. So let's let's do all of the grinding and studying and research for you, so you can get into the game and enjoy all the juicy stuff. So on that, I wanted to build on that. And then that's where like the build guides and the starter guides started coming from. So I've tried to branch out into various different videos that are basically all centered around helping you play the way that you want to play. Um, I'm a massive advocate for like nothing is like I, I really don't like the, the elitist mentality that, oh, you shouldn't do that. That's making the game. That's cheating. That's cheating. No, no, no. Like you you play however is enjoyable. And I'm here to try and help you be able to do that without wasting hours of your life uh, to get to the point where you want to be. Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more with that mindset that everything in the game is meant to be used. Like, if you want to trivialize yeah. the game by, like, using all of the super powerful broken stuff, you're meant to. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Um, just, just uh, like off the back of that, like, yeah, I am a huge advocate. Yeah, like as as an extension of play the way you want to play. Um, the community that the channel I've created has gathered is uh, honestly such a special, safe, welcoming place. Um, people of like, I, I I know it's a bit of a cliche to say it, but genuinely people of all genders, all cultures, all backgrounds. Um, like I think my Twitch chat is like pretty much 50% male, 50% female, which I've never seen anywhere. Males very much dominate gaming still. And the fact that, that the more feminine voice is so uh, prominent in my channel, it fills me with joy. It's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Because like you say, males are definitely like the far more prevalent like demographic still. So that's sort of nice that you've cultivated a uh, a welcoming place for people that can just you know, relax and not feel like they're going to be attacked or something. 
Yeah. Well, I, I have more to say, but you were going to say something. Do you still remember? I didn't want to interrupt again. <laughs> no, it was just sort of a, a ramble about general build variety. I'm not sure if it's... Uh... You can keep going, I imagine. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, Will, let's let's do that. Let's definitely talk about that. I um I may well have oh I remember I remember the last thing I was going to say so that's um yeah that's that's the basic gist of of what my YouTube videos are all about and then yeah the Twitch content is still all Elden Ring stuff but what I like to really do on Twitch is try challenge runs um I love to apply limitations to myself and do really weird obscure builds so I am currently in the middle of two different runs I'm doing consumables only and. Uh, what people call the Pokemon trainer run. So basically, I'm only allowed to use spirit ashes and summons. I'm not allowed to attack. I'm just there to go to say, "Go on, Dung Eater, you can do it." <laughs> you're like a you're a cheerleader rather than yeah. a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and yeah, both of them runs are going pretty well. So I'll be uh, continuing. I'm not sure exactly when this airs, so apologies if I if I date it too much, but I'll be continuing on Monday with the uh, Summon Ashes, the Spirit Ashes only run, trying to tackle Malaketh. so that's going to be fun. Ah, uh -huh. well, regardless of when it runs, I'll try to hunt down the run and put it in the description, so anyone that's interested <laughs> can find it, at the very least. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But yeah, I mean, I think that's really cool that the... I really love the Spirit Ash run, especially. Like, uh, the only really challenge run I've done so far is level one, which I still haven't beaten Gideon the all-knowing on it, so I'm a bit stumped, you know, so far. Uh, but I really like the Spirit Ash run because it's like, it's just very, I think it's creative to like watch people, go, like watch you Spirit Ashes fight, you know, especially when people like use, you know, it really showcases the different types of Spirit Ashes you can use. And also how powerful it, Dung Eater is. He's really Oh busted. my god. <laughs> yes. Yes. I um yeah, I'm really hoping that if if there's enough interest and people want to, that I can take a few snippets, take a few highlights from this challenge run and just be like, right, did you know how powerful this spirit ash is? And give genuine examples where, like, yeah, for instance, I literally had the Dung Eater and um and Iron Fist Alexander solo the fire giant. And the two of them together, it was like watching, it was like watching this this beautiful choreographed dance. They 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 gelled together so well that it was just magnificent to watch. It was so cool. I never even considered them as a combo, but that's great. No, They're both just yeah. like the ultra tanks. Yeah, so like basically Alex has two different attacks that have a crazy long wind-up but they are basically an instant stagger on the fire giant. So the dung eater's there getting up in the fire giant's face, pulling the aggro while while Alex is just there in the in the uh, in the corner like a character from Dragon Ball Z charging up the spirit bomb for 3 episodes and eventually he releases it and the fire giant gets stuck gets staggered and then the two of them just wail on him and it's a it's a sight to behold. <laughs> you're almost you're selling me on the spirit ashram. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> That's pretty great. Are there any other highlights from the run that you've had so far that like just like stood out to you? Oh, oh, there's there is a few. There is a few. Um, there's one that is is definitely uh, dipping into the realm of cheese. Uh, we basically managed to no hit. Dragon Lord Placidusax with Latena. 
she can be a god when she is left unchecked. Oh my god, she's she's slept on. Yeah, because she can basically just like chill out in a corner of the arena doing consistent DPS as long as she's yeah. in range. Yeah, exactly, exactly. How long is her range? I haven't really used her very much. Like, I couldn't give you a specifics in, like, yards or feet or meters or anything, but I literally spawned her in at one side of his boss arena, and I'm pretty sure we all know exactly how how large Dragonlord Placidus X's uh, boss arena is, and she can snipe him from the other side of the room. Absolute queen shit. I adore it's, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> that is so great. I love that. How did Malekith go? I mean, like, I imagine he's pretty aggressive. Was it just Dung Eater again? Malekith is the one I am going to attempt to tackle on Monday. He's he's where I left off when I wrapped up the stream yesterday. I went and did a bunch of extra optional stuff to prepare because I was like, this is going to be tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's a very hard boss. Yeah. Um, and then... Oh, go on. <laughs> I was I was just gonna say, talking about how hard he is and how hard some other bosses are, um, transition perfectly into talking about builds, but was there something else you wanted to say first? Oh, I mean really I was just gonna gush a little about how Malekith is one of the coolest bosses in the game in my opinion. But like It makes me so happy to say it makes me so happy to hear you say that. Every time someone asks me who is your favorite boss, I do not even need to hesitate. It is Malekith. Just because he is glorious. His move set, his armor set. Like he's so he's he just exudes suave. He's so cool. He is elegant in the best way yes. possible. Yes. Hundred percent, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. He's like uh he's like Artorius and Manus smushed into one character that is will elegantly slice you in half and you'll just like love it every time <laughs> it happens. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, what an analogy. Yeah, the moveset of Artorias, but the kind of look and style of Manus. I love mm -hmm. that. It's even within the lore, Elden of War, Elden Ring, Destined to Death is basically the Dark Soul, and since Malekith is the vessel of the Dark Soul of Destined to Death, he uh, and Artorias and Manus are all about that. He's And on top of that, he's like a great warrior that's now corrupted. You know, There's all sorts of just endless analogues between the two of them. Yeah. Oh, that makes so much sense. I love that. And um, I, I really hope, I don't know if, it, it's not really FromSoft's style to ever be like, like um, obvious and linear about anything, but I love the analogy that each of the different Elden Ring endings could potentially be like a prequel to each of the different Dark Souls games. Yeah, I've heard those before. I think it's like, I don't think most of that's, like, you know, intended, quote-unquote, but it is so fun to just, like, speculate in, like, a cute way about, like, how things could potentially tie into each other. Yeah, yeah, like you say, it's a bit of a stretch. Some of them make a lot of sense, but others, pe people really do need to uh, be a bit loose with the, uh, with the thinking, don't they? <laughs> potentially, potentially, because it's, you know, there's a bit of, you know, there's some reaches that might leave you, like, with a uh, extended arm, so to say. <laughs> <laughs> I like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, there are definitely analogs, like, all of those pillars in the Elden Beast boss fight are basically the, uh, 
the arch, you know, the arch trees from DS1, which are seen again in the Bloodborne Hunter's Dream, which is within a higher plane, the same way that the Elden Beast is. And I mean, <laughs> like, you know, Bloodborne has the Demon Souls Bulletaria armor in it, and it used to be more connected to Demon Souls with the idea of, like, you know, like the Great One Souls, and there's all sorts of weird stretches and connections going on wow. between these games. Yeah, so many, so many connections. Um, and obviously a more fair, a, a, a more obvious one, um, and not, not necessarily connected in any way to the lore, just FromSoft love putting it in their games, the Moonlight Greatsword. Oh, 100%. And patches, you know, patches and the yes. Moonlight Greatsword. <laughs> oh, the first time I had an encounter with patches in Bloodborne, I mean, I used to be terrified of spiders. Why stick his head on a massive spider from soft? Why do that to us? That is just mean. It's very cruel. <laughs> <laughs> like, as if you couldn't make Patches any more annoying. Now you've turned him into a spider. Like, really, that first game, I really was walking through it expecting to find, like, some london like cutthroat like aa cut type thug patches guy but then we meet spider patches and i'm not <laughs> sure if, like you know it was a bit of a surprise <laughs> definitely oh i like um that would have been a great character idea though i could totally see him being that 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 style patches that you just described that would have fit really well as well wouldn't it i like that yeah, I think it'd really fit the sort of, like, skeevy personality. I'm yeah. not sure if you've uh, seen JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, but I imagine a sort of less moralistic speedwagon would be a good way of describing Patches. You know what? I have seen a few episodes of JoJo. I started watching it, and I was so confused and and terrified at what I was watching. I was like, what is happening? What is this program? Um, but I do really want to go back and watch it. I've heard from so many anime fans that it is glorious. Yeah, it's one of those animes that really, like, in, like, it really, like, the, the word bizarre is not lying in the title. Yes. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, I guess if I could sum it up best, the first two seasons are this wacky hijinks, Castlevania-type buffmen fighting vampires using the power of sunlight kung fu, which I am, I sort of adore in terms of how wacky that is and just how over-explained <laughs> it is. Like, it's just fun. Um, the After that, it gets more into, like... It, it sort of becomes indescribable. Like, by the fourth or fifth season, one of the main, like, the primary villains, uh, spoilers, I guess, but, like, he gets trapped in an endless time loop where he infinite, like, suffers infinite deaths cut off from the rest of the universe for eternity. Like, that's what someone oh, does to wow. him. Yeah, like, it's a bit over the top. Damn, yeah, that's, wow. You gotta, gotta feel, even if he is... The main villain, you gotta feel bad for him at that point. Yeah, you, there's a bit of pity involved with that kind <laughs> of ad. <laughs> he was a bit monstrous, though. Very monstrous. Yeah. You know what? The, the amount of memes and references and clips and gifs, like as soon as you said it, I thought, yeah, I know that name. Yeah, like all these characters are ringing a bell. I need, mm. I need to go and watch it. I just do. Yes. And I apologize. I mean, like, 
I guess it's an, a cheesy action thing. So to me, spoilers aren't yeah. the most important, but you know. I mean, <laughs> I mean um, anyone who hasn't watched it by this point, it's your own fault. Myself included. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I'm glad that you can come at it with that mindset. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's get into the build variety. Like you, you were talking about how you try to... Make it so that anyone can play the way they want, but you want to like lessen the work that it takes, you know, the wiki hunting for all of the best weapons and stuff that fit that flavor is what I assume you mean. Or uh, like, what do yeah. you, uh, what's the, what are those videos looking like? Mm, I mean, yeah, no, I couldn't have put it better myself. That's exactly it. Just, just continuing on with the theme of, of helping people enjoy this game as much as they can. I just want to find, um, the best the best builds and, and and when i say best people's people's interpretation of the word best can vary massively some people want the most overpowered build some people want the most stylish build some people want the most up-to-date build when it comes to the patches and i so i try to cover all bases for me video games are all about having fun so if i find a new fun wacky combo the first thing i want to do is share that with the world and the majority of that video will be like, right, how can you access all of this stuff? How can you get it? And how can you put it together as quickly and as effortlessly as possible? Um, so yeah, that really is it in a nutshell. Um, but with the amount of, of crazy awesome builds I found recently, I could waffle on about, that, about this topic for, for hours. <laughs> Okay, I mean, we might not have hours to get into no. it, but I'd love to know. I'd love to hear a couple of your couple of these builds that you know. What's what are the highlights? You know, let's get into it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, oh, oh, you know what? I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna have to look at my own YouTube channel. It's so funny. It's so funny. Actually, I'll give you a sneak peek behind the scenes here. The amount of times I have to go and reference my own channel because I forget things, and I'm like, hmm, if only someone made a Things You Missed series about all the things I might have forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should make a Things You Missed about the Things You Missed series once you've finished it out. <laughs> it, it isn't the first time it's been suggested. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do. It's, 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 it's almost as if my YouTube channel is just one giant notepad document for me for all the things i'm inevitably gonna forget again honestly i get that i uh part of the reason i get into the lore is because i'm like gosh i've made some like really sort of overcomplicated feeling connections here i'm gonna forget these by the time i go to sleep if i don't like <laughs> write this down or something you know yeah definitely yeah i'm just having a look through now at some of the uh recent ones that i've done because every time as i say every time i discover a new one i'm like okay i really want to share that with the world um and with uh with the constant i say constant patches i don't mean that as a bad thing i just mean FromSoft are so good at updating their game fixing bugs tweaking things so what's good or is always changing from week to week and month to month um but there's uh Great Axes got a huge buff in the most recent patch a couple of weeks ago. I think they received three different buffs to like their animation speed, their scaling, their affinity. So anything, any build containing Great Axes at the moment is just wrecking face. 
I did not know that. I'm gonna have to update my uh my co-op build where I help people out to use great axes. <laughs> Love the idea. Yeah, like uh I'm glad that they got updated because great swords were definitely the more powerful variant from what I had experienced. Like they generally even just thought out beat great axes in scaling, if not in like the moveset speed. Yeah, yeah. I love that you've just said that as well, actually. There's a there's another couple of people I know that do that who um, have a co-op build so that they can just go and help people um, who are struggling on some of the tougher bosses. Um, it's crazy. Um, well, no, maybe crazy is not the right word. What am I trying to say here? Basically, like, Elden Ring is arguably the most accessible of all of the uh, From Software Souls-like games. But at the end of the day at its core it is still a souls game so to veterans like the two of us we have um and i'm not i'm not pretending to be a really good player <laughs> but basically what i'm saying is just with the amount of experience we have eventually you start to learn the games well enough that you're like okay like this is a tough boss but i've t i've beaten them before i know what builds to use i know their moveset stuff like that and new people that are just getting into the franchise there are some really intimidating bosses so hearing that you have a character that you use to go on co-op with and help people out, that's that's so awesome. That's really cool. Aw, thank you. And like that is pretty much my mindset exactly. Like I love these games a lot, and I really love defending the difficulty of the games because I think it's fitting for tonality and gameplay fun. And like part of that defense even go extends into like the Elden Beast, who is very often hated on for being as hard as it is. But like for me, I'm like the final boss should be hard. You should have to have to sit back and think about the game that you just played before you beat it, which, like, I love, but I also love helping people get past it. Like, so many people suffer from these games, and there is such a fun thing about going in and just helping someone, and, like, you know, like, you... And it just becomes such a battle in Elden Ring, where it's, I really love, like, the combat of it, and I love helping people, and honestly, I just do it when I listen to audiobooks or podcasts, because I have to do something with my hands or I'll get antsy, yeah. but... <laughs> <laughs> You've got um, a great mentality. I had a big smile on my face as you were saying that then. I love that. Like you say, about defending the difficulty of the game without being elitist about it 100 percent. like I, I quite often every time of course you're going to get trolls on the internet of course it's the internet what else would you expect but every time elden ring tweets at least a handful of people are like do an easy mode do an easy mode i'm like no 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 and that's not me saying being one of these people like oh get good scrub they also i don't need to exist but there's a nice middle ground and you've you've nailed it like like defending the difficulty it's 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 really good um how you just described it is so much better than how i can describe it i can't remember word for word what you just said but it was beautifully described um that it's needed to add to the game but then we're here to to help people that are struggling with them bits yeah, exactly. And I'm glad that you agree and like kind of and you can appreciate the mindset because really I think it's like I think it's the most fun way to approach the games, you know, like they have the built-in easy modes of getting past it, but some of those are obscure and one of the simplest ones is co-op. So like it's best to help people out in that sphere, I think. And Yeah. Yeah. It's uh and I I just 
like, I think the biggest thing, I mean, not to get into the Dark Souls easy mode argument, I guess, um, <laughs> but I just think, I think one of the best parts of the Soulsborne series and from software games is that if you compare them to some of the, like, contemporaries or derivatives, like, um, like Neo, for instance, which isn't fully yeah. derivative, you know, but like Neo is hard. Like it's really hard. Neo, Monster Hunter, Blasphemous, all of those games are like hard to the point where you really have to learn how to beat them or you won't. But with Dark Souls and from software games, I think one of the cool parts of them is that you can sort of stumble your way through the game and still have a lot of fun. Like if you find a really powerful weapon, if you look up a really powerful weapon, if you get help from someone to get past the checkpoint you wouldn't normally get past, all of those are such valid ways of experiencing the game, which make it easier than like a lot of its contemporaries and like the sort of pinnacle of action genre type thing i guess in my opinion yeah. at least oh I, I couldn't honestly i couldn't agree more um and i i love what you said about the elden beast as well um it's crazy the amount of people that that join uh either in the youtube comments or in the, in the twitch chat or on my discord wherever i'm chatting to people the amount of people who are like ah oh, i got to radagon and the elden beast like two months ago and I haven't touched the game since then. They're like, I got stuck and I didn't go back to it. And in a way, I'm jealous. I'm jealous that they never finished the game because that magic is still alive. They haven't yet ex have had to experience the sadness of having the credits rolling and being like, oh, it's over. Why is it over? Yeah, exactly. And I think like... In a way, that experience is valid in and of itself because it's like it's representative of what the Elden Beast does. But the fact that they can still go back to it after all this time is another part of the experience. The fact that the boss is still there tantalizing them to return to finish <laughs> it out. Yes. It's uh I guess not to go on a diatribe, but like I really like how these games are made to be simple. Like I feel like Sekiro, which is one of sort of famous for being hard in a way that people aren't used to, is um like even that game, if you know how to use the Shinobi tools, you can get past it. Like I just I have this let's play for it because it's my favorite game and I wanted to, to make something, even though I don't really have a bunch of like YouTube viewers, obviously. Um but like in it, I really wanted to show off how you could use the shinobi tools to really trivialize most fights and not have to worry about them. And like because of because of my game knowledge of that, I didn't die to a boss until I fought the demon of hatred, which is just like you know, it's it's cool that you can like achieve that level of gameplay. But like I'm speaking from I guess you know our veteran experience where like I don't have to worry <laughs> about the deflection so much. But like if you just yeah. block, you don't have to worry about them either, which is part of what I try to reinforce. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm uh I'm genuinely happy that you just went off with that tangent because I'm gonna out myself as the scrub I am now and say I have still not beaten Sekiro. And knowing that you have that that series, I now really want to go check it out. So I would actually be very grateful for a link to your channel so I can have you teach me and help me get through Sekiro. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll link it. I tried to be a bit better with that. Like, in all, I'm still pretty new to this, and I've got like not the best equipment or like sound room areas to stream in. So like, sometimes there's like a little bit of audio imbalance. But I think overall, it's my favorite thing I've 
posted gameplay wise over there. And I really, it's my favorite game. I would love to try and help other people get through it, you included. You know, imagine if you made a Things You Missed of Sakura video series. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool, though. Um, I'm, 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 I'm very impressed. Well done. Because it is, it is their toughest game for sure. And I think it's because um, on the complete flip side to Elden Ring, Elden Ring offers so many optional mechanics that will lower the difficulty. Um, the fact that it's open world means that if you're struggling on Stormvale Castle, well, just skip it. If you're struggling in Leania, in Leonia, oh, just skip it. Like you can get to really, really late game areas without ever attacking an enemy. And likewise, you've got summons, you've got spirit ashes, you've got NPCs, you've got so many tools that will help you and will kind of virtually reduce the difficulty. Whereas Sekiro, there are some, but it's it's the most limited. It's like you need to eventually learn how to parry well. You need to learn how to Makiri counter. You need to learn how to use your tools. Um, I think that one challenges you a lot more. Absolutely. It's like, it's the one Souls game where if you don't learn your kit, the core mechanics of your kit and how to utilize them, you cannot beat it. But like, yeah. if you learn the core mechanics of your kit and how to use the higher mechanics of your kit to trivialize stuff, you can beat it. But like, there's a there's a higher skill floor, you know? It's like, you have to roll in every Dark Souls game, but you can usually block, and it's like, if you mess up the rolls, it doesn't matter uh, so much. As long as you can do them, like, 30% of the time. But like, Sekiro, you can't get away with that. No, exactly, 100%. I mean, I still remember... Um... The, the the attempt when I finally managed to defeat Lady Butterfly. Um, at that point in the game, I still hadn't learned how to parry properly. So I was literally just running circles around the edge of her, her uh, arena, just very occasionally managing to throw a knife in her direction. <laughs> and it was the most painfully excruciating pe experience. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's... Um... It's a really interesting beginning set of bosses you fight in Sekiro because all of them teach such different experiences intentionally. Like, it's um, if you go through the intro portion, you start in the Ashna outskirts and you fight your way to the ogre, and the ogre is supposed to be hard enough that you go back and you go to the Harata estate, and then once you do the Harata estate, you're either going to beat Lady Butterfly or you're going to go back and continue towards Gyobu. Um, but what's so cool about it is that through that experience, you learn how to use the shinobi tools. Like, in the Harata estate, you get the axe and use it against the shields, but you also get the flame event, which since you fought the ogre already, you'll go back and use it against the ogre. At least that's what's intention intended. I mean, that goes over some... That, it's easy to miss that in the swarm of getting killed all the time. <laughs> but I love that uh, I love that that culminated in Lady Butterfly because she is, in my opinion, like she's a hard tutorial boss, especially if you haven't killed Gyobu and you don't have that attack power boost, and if you can't parry yeah. her, like she has a pretty hard to knock down posture bar, and she parries most things if you're just attacking willy nilly. Like it can yeah. be a tough boss. Yeah, for sure, and that's a really good point, actually. Again, with the contrast to. Um... With the contrast to Elden Ring, the fact that if you are stuck on a boss, you don't just have to rely on quote-unquote getting good. 
you can go and level up. You have you have other areas. Whereas with Sekiro, your level up, your leveling up is tied behind bosses and mini bosses. You need to level up your stats through acquiring the correct item to do so. You can't just go from level one to level two to level three. Yeah, definitely. What's interesting is that I feel like Elden Ring almost captures that vibe in the end game, which I think is part of why it's so famously hated, because you can go through the Elden yeah, Ring following the boss that actually Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you have the exploration mindset of the early game. If you get stuck, go somewhere else. If you uh if you need power, there is plenty to get. But then by the end of the game, it's just the gauntlet ahead of you. And this is the end yeah. of the game gauntlet where everything's scaled. So like you can sort of like stumble your way into being overpowered on account of levels and upgrades, but you have to know the combos. You need game knowledge to get ahead of like the end game, which is just a really interesting sort of vibe. Yes, yeah. And um for for that exact reason. I've got a very love-hate relationship with the last few bosses because you think to yourself when you unlock the capital of ash you're like oh i've still got three main bosses left i've got to go face gideon i've got to go face godric slash horalu and then i've got to go face radabeast um but in reality it's literally just one after the other it's just a straight route there is you're pretty much done with the game by that point and i'm heartbroken that the end of such a beautifully open world game is so linear and over so quick. I can understand that mindset and I sort of empathize with it. But part of me, I guess, like, I guess this is coming from somewhat of a subjective taste of someone that likes the narrative more. Like, I like narratively linear games more than I like open world games. Um, so maybe that's why I have this really, like, because I sort of love that it ends that way. It's like the exploration is over, and now, like, if you uh, if you look at Rykard as an analogy, he he went and killed a bunch of people. He became a recusant because he needed greed to gain power, and once yeah. he had the power, he would challenge the gods. It's like you've gone and you've you've got you've gathered your power. Now it's time to challenge the gods to take the mantle of Elden Lord from Radigan. I like that thinking. I'm going to use that line of thinking. Because that's a really nice that's a really nice way of looking at it, honestly. Um and I, I, to be fair, for the most part, I I do also prefer linear games. I love the storytelling of games. I want to get really invested in games. And it's to that end that I am not a huge fan of games without any story or games that are entirely open world. I mean, no disrespect to people that love, for instance, crafting survival games. But if you are going to play something like Rust or Minecraft or Sons of the Forest, they don't appeal to me. I like the story. I like the I like the journey. Whereas with them, you just kind of get plunked down in the game world and they just go, off you go then. I'm like, no, give me a story. Yeah, I, I share that mindset. I really like, uh, I, I guess I'm a fan of crafting and survival games in certain cases. Like the classics of Minecraft and Terraria are cool. And I played Valheim when it came out, but like, I've never been able to get that deep into them outside of like the sheer gameplay statistics satisfaction because there isn't, you know, like you say, there's not, you know, you just plopped down and you go do what you do. So you really need a good gameplay progression and something like yeah. that will really mechanically grab someone to have that game work. 
Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like yeah, maybe Minecraft was a bad example because to be fair, Minecraft is still very fun to this day. Um, it just, it's it's such a different type of fun. Uh, you've really got to be in the mood for it. Um, like, oh, I, got, I, wanna, I really want to build this structure. But for me, that's kind of where it starts and ends. Like you were saying, the... Um, Oh, the storytelling of, of FromSoft's games, even though it is famously not spoon-fed to you, it is still when you when you delve into it and when you learn it, it's it's very very beautifully done. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I um, I really like it. I uh, I remember I was one of those people that was valiantly fighting on the side of Elden Ring having better narrative than God of War Ragnarok, like. You know, just because I think that it's like not to bring such a controversial debate into it. My apologies, <laughs> <laughs> but I just thought it was like a good example because, like, I do think that Elden Ring, with its large capacity of lore and narrative and storytelling, that sort of harkens back to a lot of such like very human stories and mythologies. It does like it's just it's sort of something phenomenal that like I don't think we've seen before within gaming, even before in like the other games, even if they've had their own lore, which is part of why I brought up the Ragnarok comparison, just because while I like God of War Ragnarok and it has a good story, especially in like all of the intro bits with like really good storytelling devices, it's like it's just a well-crafted story. It's like a really high-budget movie compared to like something that's like really heartful. Which like God of War Ragnarok is also heartful. Like it has a bunch. Like I remember that. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know, rambles. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I um I I also am an advocate for Elden Ring over Ragnarok. Um, for sure, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said. I I'm not not meaning to um crap on anyone who does love uh god of war um in fact god of war 2018 or whenever the whenever the previous one came out absolutely fantastic ragnarok i just i didn't gel with as much i didn't get on with as much maybe it's because i'd already been a completely swooned and won over by elden ring that, that when i played ragnarok and i was like yeah it's good but it's not elden ring <laughs> I totally understand that mindset. <laughs> I liked 2018. I think you're right that it was the year it released. I um I actually teared up during the end. Like that had a really heartfelt narrative, even if like the whole yes. Atreus turning evil was a bit bleh. But like it was a really good narrative, <laughs> you know? Yeah, agreed. So um is there anything else you'd like to uh get into while you're here today? I'm just having a think about that myself. I'm sure I could ramble for hours. I'm scrolling through my channel for inspiration on other interesting topics of conversation because there's so much I want to talk about, but I want to keep it relevant. I want to keep it fun and interesting for the audience. Um, I'm just thinking, is there any is there any uh, things you missed behind the scenes uh, secrets I could give to people? Um, oh, here's a fun one that I shared on stream the other day, actually, because, again, most people will know me because of the Things You Missed series. That's that's obviously obviously finished now because that can only go on for as long as the game is. Um, so the more recent videos are build guides, strategies for bosses, how to start the game, stuff like that. But because most people will know the things you miss series, um, this this is probably going to sound like most people's idea of hell. But to make sure that I combed every area as thoroughly as possible, um, 
I, I literally, obviously, you know on the map you can place down five markers. I would literally, like, sec- mentally section off an area in my head. Say, say like, southeast Limgrave. And I'd put down five markers in, like, a zigzag a zigzag line. And I would go and hit marker one, marker two, marker three, marker four, marker five. Right, did I find any items? Okay, no. Like, that bit's done. Now let's move on to, like, southwest, right? Marker one, marker two. And I combed every single area like that. Um, and that is how... The things you missed videos are so thorough even then i still managed to miss a few things i'll hold my hands up but uh yeah that's how i managed to capture most things that is tactical you know like that's <laughs> yeah. A... <laughs> yeah i like that attention to detail with it you know you're really going you're going all in on the the research 100 percent. i just yeah, like i said i just wanted to make the game as accessible as i could for people that didn't have that kind of time um, and I guess because I was so focused on making sure that, like, right, I want to make sure that you're able to grab every single item, uh, find every single boss, all that stuff. That's why I was kind of blinded to the law in my first playthrough, because I was so tunnel-visioned, I was so pigeonholed into making sure I found all the, all the actual gameplay mechanical in-game secrets for people, that I myself was kind of taken out of, of, of appreciating the world as much as I could. Um, during my second playthrough, I was going around and I was like, wow, was this giant painting here in Stormvale before? This is beautiful. And I, I wasn't able to appreciate how stunning all the environments were and, and notice all of these little lore details because I was so, like, so tunnel visioned into finding every single item. <laughs> I can really, uh, I can get how that mindset would develop, but I am happy to hear that you've been able to go back and appreciate, the, you know, like some of the, uh, the you know, finer details of the game. Too. Yeah, me too, me too. I remember my first playthrough, I was, uh, I don't know, I just had a lot of fun going around and trying to investigate things. Uh, like when I, uh, I always do my playthroughs blind, so I didn't even figure out the whole map system at first, so I was literally, like, following roads between different, ca- like, castles to attack them, and, like, researching lore as best I can, and, like, you know, I, I journal as part of, like, a, I guess, you know, mental health thing going back to, like, earlier in the episode, um, and part of the journaling at the time was, like, Elden Ring theories, it's pretty funny. <laughs> That's amazing, though, I, re- I love that. That's really cool that you do that. Yeah, of course. Thank you. One thing I only just noticed myself the other day, actually a tiny, tiny little piece of lore information that a bunch of people probably already know. But again, because I was so focused on the gameplay, I didn't I didn't think of the lore connotations behind what I'm about to say. And it's the fact that Alex that Iron Iron Fist Alexander or Alexander the Great Jar, whatever title you wanna you wanna call him by, is is uh, resistant but not inv- invulnerable to fire before a certain point in the game however after you you help him defeat radan and you then see him tempering himself in the fires of volcano manor from that point of the game moving forward he is now immune to fire damage because he's been tempered in the fires of volcano manor so he is immune to the fire giant's attacks and if you try and use any kind of fire damage on him when you're facing him in the crumbling faramazula again he's he's fully resistant Wow, you know, like, I never knew that either. Even today, you know, there's just so many new things to learn about the game. That's awesome. 
it, it makes me so giddy that I, I'm still finding out stuff like this. Like, I'm sure there are going to be people out there that are going to eye roll when they when they listen to this podcast. Like, oh, my God, Dom, you've only just figured that out. <laughs> but that's the beauty of it being so massive is that we're all going to, unless you are watching every single video from every single law tuber, uh, law YouTuber, there's going to be a few pieces of law um, like that, you're, only, you're still only today making the connections. And it makes me so giddy. When I found it out on stream, I was like, oh my God, this is why Alex is now immune to fire damage because of this and this and this. And I was like, that's so cool that that's a fact that exists in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Like, there are so many minor details. And even if everything might get figured out at some point, I don't think it's we're even close to that even now and probably won't be for a while. Um, like there's still like even one person can't figure out all of that stuff just by like, you know, there's so many different places to consume it at and so many like it's just wonderful how many how like those secrets will persist and like spread throughout the community as they appear about the game. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're you're so correct, aren't you? Like that, it is going to be a long time before every single thing has been found out, and before that happens, we'll have the expansion and we'll be we'll be doing it all over again. And I cannot wait for one. I am so excited. I know, right? I just I'm so I'm so uh, what's the word? Like like in anticipation, um, wanting to find out what who who is going to be delved into whose story is going to be fleshed out like I, I i seriously hope and believe that that mikola will be involved heavily but that's about all i can really speculate for sure at the moment the rest of it is just me hoping and dreaming i mean like 100 percent like I, uh, every, you know, like, Mikkel has been the sleeper in cut content and in, like, game hints, like, for so long, but, like, everyone was hoping for Mikkel DLC, so they just pretty much confirmed it, basically, with him writing Torrent, unless you're into, like, yes. the hint he is Merica theory, but, like, gosh, I was, I woke up the day that it came out, I immediately made this, like, 14 tweet long thread just like talking about all of like the things it could be referencing and then made a <laughs> no 40 way. minute video the next day <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing yeah <laughs> just like i was very excited i i have so many ideas about it it is ah. <laughs> i just um oh i i really i know it's very very likely that it is going to come out either at the at the very end of this year or or Q1 next year because of Armored Core and because of how the timelines are, are, are fit. Um, but I'm still praying. I'm still praying and hoping it's going to be sooner. I personally think that the expansion will be before Christmas. I think it will be before the holiday season because I think that that will be a great time for them to build up hype for it. Everyone's like parents buying it for their kids and friends buying it for friends and stuff like that so because it, it, that still gives armored core a few months in the spotlight um so i'm hoping it's going to be by the end of this year even though i know a lot of people think it will be the start of next year i would share your opinion and some may call that copium but i uh... <laughs> yes copium <laughs> I, I know i i'm wishing i'm in the Got my hands together, please. <laughs> right. Only a few more months, if so. 
Yeah. I mean, at least we'll have our mid-core, though. I'm sure there'll be a good amount of time I'll be thinking into that when it comes out. Have you, um, have you played any of the other armored cores? Um, I haven't, sadly. Like, I have, I've emulated Armored Core 5, but it didn't run well enough for me to, like, pursue the game. I'm probably gonna try emulating one of the earlier titles at some point, but, uh, we shall see. I haven't had the pleasure of playing it so far, though, like, in any in-depth way. I do, like, I do really like the mech combat of what I tried. Cool. Have you? Uh, no, I must admit, but, like, I, um... It didn't, because it's a very, very different game franchise to Elden Ring, and it didn't appeal to me. Um, graphically, I think they look very cool. They're, in, they're interesting games to look at, but it wasn't uh, the gameplay that I would usually go for. Um, and I, I, I think I'm, I'm a tad concerned that some of FromSoft's newer fans and some people who've jumped in with Elden Ring are just just automatically assuming that Armored Core is going to be like robot Elden Ring. And I know there's a few times that FromSoftware have issued statements saying, please don't think that it's going to be robot Elden Ring. It's going to be nothing like it. It is taking it is taking no notes from Dark Souls. It is taking no notes from Elden Ring. It's entirely its own thing to try and mitigate like letting people down. Um and that's because that's because that's not to say that the game itself isn't going to be awesome. It's just if people if people accidentally start to try and make comparisons, they may be like, "Oh, this isn't what I expected." So yeah, I I, I will probably give it a go anyway, but I have no idea what to expect. Yeah, I feel like that was sort of like a, a discussion or a debacle, depending on how you want to call it, on Twitter yeah. or whatever. Um, shortly after the release and i think like there are like it's fair to say that there's probably going to be people that go in ac6 expecting elden ring and they're going to be yeah. just disappointed or like not have the way have it the way they want it because like if i'm going to be honest people went into sekiro and went into elden ring expecting dark souls 3 and they didn't get it and people hate on both of those games for that reason to an extent so like you know in, within the series itself it happens it's definitely going to happen between like developer series titles that have different gameplay distinctions yeah exactly um although i i am hopeful though because like i think that armored core 6 there's and there was like this lengthy interview that came out between miyazaki um, and, like, the sort of junior head that was, like, really important on Sekiro and has been, like, getting more status since, I think, Dark Souls 3 and into Elden Ring. And he was sort of given the reins on Armored Core 6, like, Miyazaki was only in the pre-production of it, helping set up. And uh, since, like, one of the big things of Sekiro is the posture bar and how it relates to disabling someone so you can move in in melee combat to, like, do a lethal blow. And in, within the interview that came out alongside the announcements and the trailer, he sort of mentioned how melee combat had a higher focus in Armored Core 6 and how he had taken a lot of, like, direction from Sekiro. So, like, I guess personally, I am expecting something that people that like the Soul series for its action melee might be able to interact with, but simply because it's going to probably have sort of, like, new types of dodging and shields and ways to get in close. But I think that no matter what, 
there'll probably be some sort of preferred emphasis on melee and guns. Like, even with an Elden Ring, the best combo you can do is a uh, spell sword. Like, if you have mid-range on top of close range, you are so much more powerful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that's really cool to know, though. I didn't know that about um, uh, the um, the lead from Sekiro being uh, given the reins with Armored Core as well. Um, and the focus on melee combat, everything you were talking about, that sounds amazing. I'll have to keep my ears and eyes peeled then. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll link you the article if you're interested, like the interview. I'll link it down below if any listeners are interested as well. Um, Sweet, not, yeah. <laughs> not to go on like a history lecture, I'm sorry, that was a pretty long rant. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't. You're fine. <laughs> okay, so uh, I guess, I mean, you know, you're always getting asked about favorites. Would you like to clarify some of your personal favorite uh weapons, spells, or builds in general when you come when it comes to playing Elden Ring yourself? I'd love to, of course. I've got a few I've got a few that are way more defined and obvious and easy for me to answer than others. As I said earlier, I think we can both agree that one of the most badass bosses in the game is Malaketh. He is so stylish. Just oh you just want to be his friend. He's so cool. Like you would feel so badass walking beside him like yeah he's my friend look how cool he is <laughs> <laughs> i completely agree <laughs> <laughs> um when it comes to weapons uh, obviously depending on the build i've got a few favorites but i'd say overall i adore the blasphemous blade um i think it's so stylish the fact that it's got all of the um Rikard's like little grasping tentacly things all over the blade like remnants of him are still gripping to the blade that detail is so cool, and obviously the weapon itself is one of the strongest weapons in the game. Oh, absolutely. It is It is destructive with its Ash of War, super cool in its visual design. And I'm like, don't they continue to writhe while you walk around? Yes, they do. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, um, this, this is purely a pipe dream, but, but talking about the expansion and talking about lore... As I said, their their DLCs famously go into the past. I would love if we could go far enough into the past that we could meet Rikard and acquire the the unblasphemous version of the blade as an actual usable weapon. That that would be pretty sick because it'd be like a it'd basically be like a personal claymore wielded by Rikard and probably personally yeah. foraged. That'd be awesome to see what it looked like before. It'd be so cool, right? I'm really excited. I mean, no matter what we get, like uh, I have uh, my personal theory is that I'm really hoping they get something to do with Godwin. There's uh, I think there's a distinct possibility that. You mentioned the past, and for a long time I was an advocate for it being about going to the past. I really wanted to get like an Ashen Dragon Mist Heart thing from Dark Souls 2 to like do different checkpoint levels or something with. But like, oh yeah, nice. Yeah, I think that was a bit of a pipe dream because at this point I'm sort of sold on the afterlife theory. I really want to see like the soul of Godwin in the afterlife or something. Okay, I like that idea. Yeah, that be that'd also be awesome. Um, you, you may be able to answer a, a question I've got actually about a, a particular thing in a particular area. I don't know if there is a defined answer for what this is, 
But when you are down in the bottom of Stormvale Castle, and just after you face the ulcerated tree spirit, what is that giant face in the ground there? So yeah, that's um that's the face of Godwin. Um that has I used to think that so it's funny, because I actually had a personal theory about this, and I was convinced by other people online after a while with like discussion, but essentially my original thought was that this is where Godwin the Golden died, and that they carved his face off as like a sacrificial way to destroy his soul and identity, which is complete crackpot headcanon. But um <laughs> what I <laughs> what I learned was that Essentially, Godwin is the prince of death and the martyr to undeath because he was the first demigod to die. He, um, he, the, essentially, the death through and the shards of death that spread throughout reality from his corpse being planted at the roots of the great tree, the which may be the yard tree, may not be. Um, it spreads through the world, and because it's impacted by Godwin's identity, his face spreads within the death root. So if you look at those like big death root clumps, um, I'm fairly certain you can see his face in them. And it's why um you get those like visages of undeath, like the cysts, this like the cyst and the pustule. You find one yes, of them on yeah. that face. Yeah. Uh, so it's assumed that the face has grown there because as like an extension of Godwin's death, undeath, living within death, death root spreading throughout the land. Wow, that's awesome. I'm going to have to go and um, have a close look at them areas now and see if I can also see um, what people say it like appears to be um, his face showing up in the death root and that. Um, yeah. That's cool. I've always been a little bit mediocre with visual analysis. I'm not sure what it is about my eyes and seeing things. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I have learned to trust people when they say that you can see his face in the death through and in other like, mm -hmm. examples of it. And what's interesting awesome. is that even if you don't think that it's... um, uh, You know Roger, how he sort of dies in the round table hold? Yes. So he dies because of corruption from the death through. And he yeah. gets corrupted because while he's at Stormvale Castle, he's looking for death through. He's looking for signs of Godwin's undeath because he's trying to uncover the secret behind death through and the Night of the Black Knives. And um, yes, he goes to that visage, like he sneaks past the ulcerated tree spirit that you kill. And the reason you only get the cyst is because I think it used to have death root in it, and that Roger took the death through, like he pulled it, but he left the cyst behind. Which the player is then able to take and use as a talisman. Oh, right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So, like, the fact that the cyst references Godwin, I think, speaks to how the death root grows from uh, pustules of his identity, I guess. But, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel I like to say things, but, like, I feel like if I say stuff on, like, a recording or a uh like, for like my podcast or my streams or whatever it should always be taken with a little bit of a grain of salt because i do believe in doing <laughs> research and confirming things with textual evidence honestly i feel that i feel that the second you say something online that is it that's gospel and someone is going to scrutinize you for it oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and that um i'm not saying at all that i I don't enjoy doing the YouTube videos and I'm not grateful for the 126,000 subscribers and the 21 million views. But that is why I do tend to feel more comfortable on Twitch than on YouTube. 
because if I'm like like right now, like as we're having a discussion, sometimes it's very easy in the moment to accidentally misphrase something. And if I accidentally misphrase something on a YouTube video, that's gospel, and and people will will rip me a new one for that. Um, and it could purely just be a slip of the tongue or like like accidentally misremembering something. Whereas when it's in a more live format like this or on Twitch, it's easier to correct yourself and be like, oh, whoops, I just, I, I literally just accidentally said the wrong thing there. But when it's embedded on that YouTube video, it's very hard. Like you can, you can write in the comments, you can say, oh, sorry, misspoke here, but no one's going to read that. And that's forever going to tarnish your reputation. Just a, just a tiny little smidge. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's tough. It's a, it's a, it's a tough business. Yeah, it can be it can be harsh <laughs> with audiences. Yeah. You know, personally I'm a strong believer in the post reverence era where everyone can make mistakes and no one is perfect. <laughs> I yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And um I get countless comments every day of people saying, I'm so happy that you tend to leave in your mistakes on videos because like you say, no one is perfect. And again, hearkening back to what I said right at the start about wanting to make this game accessible to everyone. If I was to do what some people do, I will not name any names because it's just bad form, but occasionally you will see people that seem to play perfect. And you can almost guarantee it's because they've cut out all the footage of them not playing perfectly. And they do it because it makes them look better. And there is an argument for doing that. That's fine. But you're kind of, you're distancing yourself from from a real player and a real experience. I like to leave in my failures and my fumbles because it's more, it's more realistic, it's more approachable. People know, oh, well, if this guy can do it, then I can do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it makes for more entertaining content too. Like, it's not so fun to watch someone always win. Like, I think it's, it's sort of cool when you see fumbles and you see mistakes because sometimes it's... It's good to learn from them and to understand yeah. what happened, you know? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, there is a time and place for like that sort of demonstration of perfect play. Like, uh, I don't know if you've seen Ang Ball on YouTube, but I sort of oh, like... Oh my god! Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But that's... So that's an exception. Obviously, obviously every... every like, like, like we were just talking about, like, um, sometimes you can say something and not and it, it it doesn't come out quite how you mean so yeah that's a great example of where where it is good to have perfection but you know it's because that person has spent countless hours perfecting that it's not like they've pretended to just stroll in to melania and that was their first ever attempt like you know it's a very good player they've spent hours and hours practicing and that's the culmination of all their practice as opposed to try and trick you into thinking that they're just better than you yeah absolutely it's like the age old if you're having a discussion in an online forum and someone chimes in with saying they beat the boss on their first try it's like i mean that's great cool but like you know, it, it's not. It doesn't have a bunch of. It doesn't really matter, does it? You know, like <laughs> no, <laughs> like um, it's cool, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. As we were talking about Sekiro earlier, and uh, how much better at it you are than I am. Um, have <laughs> <laughs> Have you played Wo Long? Yes, yes. You made a video on that, didn't you? Yes, <laughs> love that. 
And I've, I'm trying to convince myself that because I managed to get good with the parrying system in Wolong, the Sekiro hopefully will be less of a daunting experience for me now when I do go back to it. Oh my god, absolutely. Like, you beat Guan Yu in Wolong, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I haven't beaten the game yet, but Guan Yu is a difficulty spike in Wolong akin to oh, what could need... Oh, yeah? Are you, are, are you talking about Lu Bu? I think you're talking. I think you're talking about Lu Bu. Oh, no. <laughs> on, on, on the horse. On the horse. No, no, not on the horse. Not on the horse. He's uh, he's later I, on in the game. I don't. Um, I don't think. No. Yes, on the horse. You? On the horse. Wait. No. No. I am. Yeah. You are complete. I am the. I am the one in the wrong. Yes. I'm talking about Lu Bu. Like in the castle Lubu, courtyard. Yeah, it's yes. like sort of snowy. He's yes, got the fire yes. arrows. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's my I thought bad. So. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. I, I'm because I, I was going to bring him up myself because what made me think of it is you were talking about Ongbal and how good he is at the game. Well, um, shortly after I managed to fumble my way through Lubu on like attempt ten or eleven, um, Ongbal released a video of him zero hitting Lubu at level one, and I was like, I hate you. <laughs> Yeah, like, absolutely nuts content on Angle's side. They are a master, like, at the game. <laughs> yep, truly, truly, very, very envious of their ability. Mm -hmm. I, um, I know that, like, I bring up Lu Bu just because it's, like, he is definitely a gameplay checkpoint where if you can't get yeah. past him, you won't, like, he is there for a reason. He is there to make sure that you are ready for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, so, going off on a tangent, talking about that kind of, um, that skill check level of the game, do you think Elden Ring has any of them? Would you say there's any main bosses that, that people, like, this is, this is a skill check here, like, this is, this is Lubu level of, you might be stuck on this boss for a while? I would say Morgat would be the closest you get to that. Oh, yeah, yeah, good, good answer, yeah. Yeah, it's like, um... To a lesser extent, and this is funny because it's not even a remembrance, Magma Worm Makara is a checkpoint to make sure you can't leave Lyernia because mm, like Yes. Yeah. You either have to go to that you either have to go to Fort Ferroth, which generally people that go there will fight Radan because that's what you do when you play a game, you kill the boss of the area. Um <laughs> yep. and you'll come away with the Dectus medallion. So that would guarantee that you're strong enough. Or you'll do Magma Worm Makara, but that's more of a level stats checkpoint. It's not such a gameplay intensive thing. So like, really, it's mostly Morgat. He's got the beginning of those fast paced combos and zero uh, full HP to zero death um, combos that a lot of late game bosses are capable of. So he's sort of there yeah. to be like, get get ready. <laughs> it's the more I got yeah, th th this is this is what's to come expect more of this yeah yeah <laughs> a sort of cool idea is that within the lore morga is the pinnacle of strength of the modern shattering era like he's the king of landol he was the only demigod that conquered landol but all of his deeds came to nothing so when you beat him you either have to in the lore, become Lord, the Lord of Landol if you want to like quit the game at that point, if you're unwilling to burn the Erd Tree like Morgoth was. Or you commit the cardinal sin and you rise above the modern level of what like the pinnacle of strength was and you start fighting the ancient legends of old, like the fire giant from the prehistory, uh, Godfrey, the first Lord of the Erd Tree. 
Radigan, who's fought from the very beginning, you know, Gideon, who revived from, uh, you know, you get my drift. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I'd, I'd never realized that. That's so cool. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Um, also, yeah, I, I went off on a really weird tangent in my mind when you were, when you explained it. Um, wouldn't that be amazing if there was like some jokey April Fool's DLC where you take over from Morgoth and suddenly now it's like Stardew Valley, but you're just looking after Leyendel? <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. That'd be that That'd would be, be so the cool, cutest right? fan game, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Someone, some indie developer needs to listen to this and make that now. <laughs> yeah, that'd be oh my goodness! Just like you're rebuilding the perfumer department, you've got the yes. royal guard. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I think we're getting, you know, towards the end of the episode. It's been a real pleasure to have you on. Like, thank you so much for joining me at the Roundtable Hold today, Dom. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you, too. I, I did not realize we had been going nearly two hours already. That's crazy. <laughs> I know, the time can fly, can't it? Yep. Yeah. Do you want to shout anything out before you get going? I know that, like, you know, date-wise, this is going to, you know, the recording might not line up so well with the publication of the episode, but if you have anything that's ongoing you want to talk about or anything that you think will be a big hit that you just want to bring up, I'd love to hear it. And I'm sure, you know, bring it to the audience as well. Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, the only real thing, really, is just shouting out that I am trying to grow um, the Twitch, the Twitch channel, the live streams alongside... Um, the YouTube channel as well, because obviously every, anyone that, that knows me already will will probably know me because of the YouTube channel. But it's really great to be able to interact with the community live on Twitch. So anyone that would really like to get to know the creator and not just the videos, it means the world to me. I, I respond to every single message. We always have a blast. We're always playing Elden Ring, doing various fun challenges. So even no matter what time you hear this podcast... I will be live one day that week, um, well, probably multiple days that week, doing some kind of ridiculous challenge run. We've got so many in the works, like um, a purely damage over time run, a madness only run, consumables run, spirit ashes run. So uh, yeah, alongside the YouTube comment, my real passion is being able to interact with the community live and build up them connections and, and support people as you're going through the game yourself. Um, yeah, so, so, so that really. Thank you. Yeah, 100%. I will put links to, uh, your channel down below. Go check them out. Give them a watch. Um, I'll probably check you out myself at some point. I know that, like, almost all of my guests stream, so I try to, like, tune in every now and again, you know, just to, like, because it's fun to see how <laughs> they're doing. <laughs> I totally appreciate that. Is That is a big commitment, so... If it's very infrequent, I won't take offence, but that's that's very sweet of you. Thank you. Yeah, of course. And uh, thank you again for joining us. You know, it's my pleasure. Yeah, yeah, likewise. Thank you so much. This has been Elden Case, an Elden Ring discussion. Thank you, as always, for watching this far. I deeply appreciate any viewer taking time out of their day to listen in. And if you like what you heard, then we release new episodes of the bi-monthly schedule. Next episode is going to feature YouTuber Ray Jakari, who will come on to talk about his experience writing lore theories, and as well as interacting with Elden Ring's community, along with his prior experience in competitive gaming before joining us at the FromSoft or a fan group, so to say. So stay tuned for that. 
uh, down below, you'll find links to my personal YouTube, my blog, and my Twitter, where I post cat pictures weekly. You'll also find Dom's links, so go give his channel some love. And before I go, I'd like to thank Tao and the Cosmic Neighborhood once again for letting me use their great music for the podcast. And I'd also like to thank my moderators, Agaric and Mog, for helping me make this podcast a reality. With all that said, I'll see you in the next one. And in the meantime, don't you dare go hollow on me.